What is going on, guys? Welcome to In the Zone. I'm your host, Garrison Roy. This is the podcast where you're going to be getting into the zone as far as the strike zone and the skill acquisition side of the sport. Also being mentally in the zone and then also different zones of training as far as either rehab performance, you know, and different aspects of that. Uh, But yeah, we do have different segments of the podcast. If you're new to it, we have rants. We have full length interviews with other coaches and players. We also have mental minutes where you get into those little uh, mental game hacks or or just like little motivational things that you can see uh, pop up. And then for today, this is our very, ver- very first episode of a deep dive educational one, right? So uh, really excited about this one. But if you guys have any other questions or topics or, you know, any anything else that you guys would like to hear on the podcast. Put that in, email that to in the zone podcast, one, two, three at gmail.com. And again, the show only grows through the word of mouth and you guys sharing it. So if you're listening to this, please just hit that share button, post it on your store, share it with a friend who you think is going to need to hear it because I believe in value exchange. I'm not trying to waste your time by putting in a bunch of advertisements all over the place. So this is where we're at with it. All right. But Let's go ahead and take this deep dive into this episode today. So what I'm going to do is basically break down a study, and this topic in particular is the different types of uh, UCL, uh, whether it's Tommy John, whether it's uh, actually having uh, internal brace, right? We have a bunch of other different types of ones here, but the study that I'm going to be kind of touching on the most is... Um, and I'll put this in the show notes below, but it's the utilization of internal brace and the elbow medial UCL stabilization and the biomechanics, clinical application, and their patient outcomes. So, and again, I'm not going to get too scientific on you. I'm going to try to basically summarize this all, wrap it up in a nice little bow for you. Uh, But first, I think before I dive into any of this, I want to kind of break down the different types of the, you know, surgeries that you'd come across, right? So there's several different ulnar collateral ligament repair surgeries, and each one has its kind of own approach and technique, right? The most popular one that everyone knows, it's been around since Tommy John, right? Because it was mentioned and named after the first guy who got it. Uh, And also, fun fact, it was also might have been called the Brent Strom surgery, who I think he's with the Diamondbacks as the time I'm recording this episode, but he was also with the Cardinals and the Astros for a while as a pitching coach there. And he didn't have such success with his surgery. I was had a privilege of getting to speak with him before. And, um, you know, he had to go back in and do a lot of revisions uh, because, you know, luckily enough for Tommy John, the first one they did was successful. Uh, but then obviously they've improved that over the years, right? So you have that full reconstruction. You can think of this as like, hey, when you have a rope, 
you cut off a piece of the rope and then you insert another piece of a different thread of rope into that to try to make it stronger, right? It's in replacing the damaged ligament or the damaged UCL with a, with a tendon graft. It's usually harvested and harvested sounds so weird to me, but you know, it's, it's bringing in from, uh, from the actual patient, right? And usually they can get that from the forearm or they can get that through the hamstring. Um, I think mo- most of it is uh, usually from that forearm. Recently, I haven't seen very many guys who don't do that one and go for the hamstring. Um, but basically, they're going to drill holes into the humerus and all the bones and just secure it, anchor it in place. Right. Then the second type you have is the UCL repair with an internal brace. Right. And this is a newer technique um, from Dugas. He was kind of the pioneer of that. And you guys are more than welcome to research a little bit more on that and how he kind of, um, you know, started that. But basically, they're keeping that same damage UCL, but they're going to use sutures and they're reinforcing it with small, almost like tape or a synthetic ligament, right? To basically keep that in place. So if you could think of this as that rope again, think of it as if that rope is starting to fray as a ligament, they're basically putting duct tape over it, um, but then holding that in and making sure that that stays secure, right? The analogy might be a little butchered, but that's just kind of how I'm visualizing things here, uh, right? But it's it's going to give you a little bit more of a quicker uh, bounce back, um, and it's going to reduce stress on that Uh, repaired ligament you know theoretically now the third one which is also a newer rendition is the ucl repair with augmentation right so in some cases the ucl they, they might need to actually enhance the stability of it right so if it's really loose or having a lot of uh, gaps between that whenever you see a guy go through that full max external rotation they're using those same materials uh, but they could also use grafts or patches, suture anchors to just su- provide extra support and strength. So it's kind of like a, a updated version of that internal brace, right? Uh, but again, all case-by-case basis, not saying that if you have a tear in your UCL, you get to choose out of any of these three. It's all really specific on what types you have or, or what, what what type of tear that you have, right? So breaking this down and shout out to overhead athletics for for putting this in on twitter for me to kind of read up on this a little bit but on this particular study and again you guys can read that on this on your own in the show notes but just kind of basically summarizing this for you guys right they they took a lot of uh, cadavers right so these are dead bodies and they're averaging from the age of 41 to 75 um so again If we're talking about how this is going to relate to younger athletes, uh, obviously who are still throwing, more prone to those ligament tears, and you're comparing it to a 41 to 75-year-old on average, sometimes they might even be older, and they're testing it and seeing, you know, how sustainable that can actually be. You know, you're comparing apples to oranges, but of course, we don't want to have, you know, a bunch of younger um, kids just kind of waiting to to go in and they, they try it on normal humans because that's just not ethical right we, we don't ever want to see that happen um, but just keep that in mind as you're reading this 
and and you're hearing a little bit more about this right um but again like that that's the the group of people that they're using right so from those cadavic elbows they tried to go in they did, did that internal brace with the augmentation um right so they're adding some extra stability in there and they they showed some good benefits now the table that you you see on here there's different other studies that they're comparing to um but uh the first one saying that uh Bakamer, and I'm, I might be butchering this, but they did 24 cadavic elbows. Their mean age was 70 years old, right? Uh, and they did that internal brace re repair, and they said that there was better torsional stiffness, right? Or the ability from uh, loading in and not having too much of a gap to, to be formed there, right? So you have that one. Then you have Bernholt, 12 cadaveric elbows, 54 mean age. They found no significant difference between either of the techniques, right, with internal brace or with the augmentation. Then the next one, again, nine, did the internal brace, no significant difference between the two. And then Dugas, again, he did the study, and this was the 2016 one. His mean age was 63 years. Uh, he did the typical modified uh, UCL right, Tommy John surgery, and then also the repair with internal brace. Um, and his findings were, you know, comparing to the techniques, there was about no, st no statistical difference, right, um, in the gap formation or rotational stiffness uh, or, or the torque of fa uh, failure. So basically whenever they're yanking it back into external rotation. So they're they're basically saying you know, and you can continue to read on down through all these studies that it's all relatively no significant difference. Now, there was one at the very end, if you go to Yurch ETL 2019, it had eight match pairs of cadaveric elbows, mean age of 58, right? They did the internal brace and then three strand docking UCL reconstruction. Their findings were basically that they had um the internal brace restored the laxity so they had or range of motion and the torque to failure was higher in the reconstruction group compared to the internal brace basically the torque that they're going to put on the elbow when that's actually going to break that failure rate was a lot higher than in the internal brace right so my takeaway from this is like, okay, hey, there's really no significant difference. There also needs to be a lot more studies to be involved with this to actually even compare the two. Um, you know, but if you're going to keep something, right, like, and I use that rope analogy again, you're, that rope might be a little bit more sustainable if you're just going to keep the the main ropes there, right? And you could think of the that three-prong type rope and just one of those fray. If you just replace that or add duct tape over it and add some of that in there, keep it more stable or maybe even, you know, do some other additional stability with that. Could be extreme duct tape or a lot more duct tape, right? Then that's probably going to be a lot more sustainable if you're trying to take that rope through a tug of war than just 
completely cutting and severing the rope that was severed and then try to tie in a whole new piece of rope right there where, you know, maybe the middle of that tug of war is going to be. So again, this is just some of the things that I was kind of going through. Um, but basically only three of those studies reported that there was, uh, you know, some type of difference there on the elbow. So just something to, to kind of think about. Um, and again, they're saying only 10% of the patients had any ulnar nerve symptoms, right? So, and that's something that's also been really popular lately where they're having the, the nerve basically moved instead of it being in between those uh, elbow joints, they're going to have a transposition. So they're moving that elbow or that, uh, that nerve, the ulnocrotal nerve, basically more towards the inner part of the elbow so that you're not risking having any nerve irritation um, or anything like that, right? Which I think is smart if you're, if you have the risk to be able to do that, um, you know, and especially if you're going to return to throw and have high velocity movements, you might as well take care of that nerve and keep it out of harm's way, right? Um, and again, every doctor is going to be a little bit different. They're going to have different, I guess, methodologies, if you will. Just like if a strength coach is like, hey, we're going to do this, but they're going to get the same type of adaptation. So, you know, if you are one listening and you know someone who's going to go under the surgery, you know, do your research on the doc, see how many he's actually done before. Don't just go to someone who, you know, and I don't want to throw them under the bus necessarily, but if it's just, you know, the surgeon right down the street and he's never done one before or only has like maybe a handful under his belt and you're a high level thrower, or you want to be a high level thrower, that may not be the best guy to go with. So again, just add some additional research on who you're actually going to do this with. Um, but that again, that's just me kind of going on a tangent. And this is me sharing, you know, what, what I, my takeaways are. But if you guys have any other takeaways, or if you know of any other studies, uh, always open ears for it. We want to dive down different topics as far as shoulders, obliques. I'm all for it, guys. You send them in and I will break it down for you and give you my takeaways. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I think that's pretty much it on this end. Um, but if you want to look into any other studies, I do think Dugas is a great one um, that's relatively recent. Um, and a few other ones I can put, put down here uh, before. But yeah, for those of you listening, appreciate you tuning in and stay in the zone.